Hi, it's Matt Donnelly, senior film writer at Variety, and you're listening to The Go Creative Show. Hello and welcome to The Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. My name is Ben Consoli, and today's guest is Matt Donnelly from Variety. Matt, thank you so much for coming back on the show. My pleasure. How are you doing? Well, there is so much going on in the world and certainly Hollywood, and we're going to get to all of it. But I just want to quickly mention our sponsor, MZ Education for Creatives, and remind all of you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're actually doing a ton of new exclusive content just for YouTube. So please make sure you subscribe there. And of course, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. It is an absolute crazy time in the arts and entertainment industry in the world. It's just, it's absolutely nuts. I feel like things are even crazier now than when we first spoke. And the whole point of our first conversation is look at how crazy things are. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's been a wild, wild year. And I don't think this year, I don't think 2021 will be any different, sadly. You know, I think about, I, I think about what will the movie of this 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 past four years be like? Mm -hmm. What will the story be? There's there's so much to it. It's almost like you you really can't even have a two hour period of this. This has to be like an a eight series, uh, and like an eight series TV show. Yeah. I, I don't know how you're going to cover this. How is Hollywood going to cover this? It's you know, crazy. It's so funny. I, you know, I just recently interviewed Doug Lyman, who shot a movie in uh in quarantine in London with Anne Hathaway and Shuya Telegiofor. And the funniest thing he said was, he's like, you know. Steven Spielberg in four years will win an Oscar for the movie he makes about coronavirus, but I made a movie in it, about it, and defined by it. So check it out. It's called Lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, I want to start, we're going to talk about a few things mm -hmm. today. We're going to talk about the Warner Brothers HBO Max decision to kind of simultaneously release movies on in theaters and then also streaming. Mm -hmm. um, I want to talk about the the new COVID lockdown in Los Angeles, what that means for the industry, um, what the details are right now, because I know it's certainly ongoing. But I want to start with what happened at the Capitol um, this past week. Um, uh, of course, everybody knows what was going on over there, but and it, it certainly affects the country and the world. But how is Variety covering it? Like, what does this mean for the filmmaking industry, Hollywood, entertainment? What does this mean? Sure. I mean, obviously... You know, given I don't think it's any surprise to anybody that, you know, Hollywood is a very democratic place uh, in terms of party affiliation. Um, you know, celebrities uh, are sort of notoriously blue. Um, so I think the way we've been covering it is sort of looking at it in the lens of a Biden presidency sort of really means that Hollywood will come back to the White House in a lot of traditional ways that it has not been for the past four years under a Trump administration. But from a purely you know, news perspective, something as unprecedented as this siege on the Capitol uh, is a massive story for anybody. For us specifically, we're sort of looking at it as how the media covers it. You know, there's been a lot of um, sort of really brave reporters who had to sort of soldier on through an angry mob who was there to sort of defile one of the most sacred buildings uh, in our nation and also who have been trained for four years to hate the media. I think even in Speaker Pelosi's office suite, uh, someone scribbled murder the media on the door. So that's how we've been sort of covering it. It's just looking at a lot of these brave uh, sort of field correspondents who have been right in the thick of the action uh, as something that's sort of shameful as this has happened. And then obviously, um, you know, people in show business, everybody from, you know, power brokers like David Geffen and the agencies down to, you know, pop stars have been just horrified by what's happened. 
You brought up something that I, I wasn't even thinking about talking about, but since since you brought it up, I want to dive into it just for a minute. Sure. There has been, I, I, I do feel like there's a sea change on how a certain population of the country um, responds to media now. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Like, I'm, I'm conflicted because you can always see hypocrisy if you look deep enough anywhere. Yeah. But overall, is there, um, and not making any assumptions as to like how you're, you know, what your thoughts are, but yeah. I'm just saying like overall, is there, what are the downsides and the upsides to having a more skeptical um, interpretation, if you will, of the media. Right. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, uh, there was, not to be trite, but, you know, there was a time, you know, probably 20 years ago, you know, people say that when the news was boring, you know, people didn't really know who a lot of their key politicians were. And uh, I think that, that that in that era, you, you know, uh, investigating and, and, and sort of fact-checking traditional media is part of a healthy electorate, I think. You know what I mean? It's nice for people to be informed. It's nice to look for verification. Um, but the downside is, is that what you're seeing play out now, I, I think, um, you know, and I speak for myself, um, is four years of of the Trump administration sowing mistrust in reporters. This is like, I can draw you a straight line from the, uh, you know, invention of the term fake news to the someone writing murder the media on the walls of of the Capitol. You know what I mean? That, that's just how I, I see it playing out. So, you know, I think the idea of misinformation is really dangerous. I think the media, you know, needing to be objective and people policing that objectivity is healthy. Um, but, you know, what I've been seeing come out of uh, uh, Twitter and, and, and lots of social for the past few days is basically not just a distrust of that media, but flat out lies. You know, um, saying that verified members of the far right and QAnon and 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 sort of uh, you know deplorables as Hillary Clinton might call them um, change the narrative and, and say that these people are actually Antifa or from the far left that they're plants. It's that that's really sort of insidious to me and upsetting. But um, you, you know, I think it also sort of underscores what it means to be a good journalist and and hopefully recommits a lot of people to the cause. Do you have any thoughts um, for yourself or just? what you've been hearing around, you know, Hollywood in the, in the film and media industry mm -hmm. on social media, putting flags on certain, you know, messages and posts from people. And sometimes just locking people out, just kind of listening to both sides. Mm -hmm. It's sometimes hard to, to find that balance between when do you actually lock somebody out and when is that suppression? What, what what are these platforms supposed to be? And I know that was 8 million questions in one, yeah, no, and I no, apologize. No, no, no. no I, I <laughs> but, hear you. It's, it's a really fraught kind of debate because we believe in free speech. Um, but, you know, there I think there's a huge difference between people sort of in a chorus of disagreement and then the president of the United States spreading misinformation about the election. Um, you know, with anything, what I've heard just from talking to, you know, people who work in the industry, you know, at every level, um, there's a lot of frustration that now, now you're going to ban Trump on Facebook and Instagram. Twitter still hasn't acted. It's like these, th this, this destruction and this erosion of the truth started a long time ago. So I don't know if it might be too late, you know, to, to really sort of put the toothpaste back in the tube. But I absolutely think that, you know, Twitter is a public company. Facebook is a public company. Um, 
and I think they have an obligation to shareholders and to their users um, to make sure that there is some sort of integrity um, and information when you're talking about massively influential people, not just on the platform, but obviously being the president who informs policy and, and our sort of global face to the world. It's definitely a tricky situation. It's like I hate the, I hate the idea of thought and idea suppression, mm-hmm. but I do understand that they're not, you know, they are private companies. Like what, you know, what are you going to do? I, I guess, yeah. are is it okay to tell them they have to put something on their platform, even if it doesn't, uh, even if it doesn't work with their terms of service? Is that okay? Right. You know what? What's okay? It, it's a, it's a, it's a really crazy. It's a, it's a difficult question, and I think we're navigating this because social media is new. Yeah. Even though it's been around for a while, it's still relatively new, and we're just learning now kind of the effects of it. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't I don't envy anybody in those positions. Oh, please. <laughs> Having to either take the criticism <laughs> or set the policy. Um, but you know what what's interesting and I think what we'll see more of um because I believe Biden campaigned on it um is regulation. So I I, I don't know if that regulation of big tech is going to manifest itself in some sort of you know, policy about, like, as you put it, idea uh, or thought policing. Um, but, uh, you know, someone once, I think it was Rashida Jones once said, uh, Twitter's a bad neighborhood. So sometimes policing <laughs> is necessary. <laughs> That's funny. I haven't heard that. Well, I agree with you. I, I do think it's going to be, I think there is going to be some regulations and a lot to discuss mm-hmm. in the next four years and beyond. Right. Um, Let's talk about this major decision by Warner Brothers back in December mm-hmm. um, to simultaneous re- simultaneously release movies in theaters and on streaming on their streaming platform HBO Max. Yeah, this is a huge, like groundbreaking, earth shattering uh, decision, and I don't think a lot of people realize what kind of an impact this may have yeah. or what the fears are. So I kind of just want to at first start with what is this decision? What actually happened? And let's right. it's let's dumb it down so that people really understand. <laughs> sure. So it, effectively, and um, I, I'm going to, I'll say it very simply and then we can go through yeah. more if you'd like. Um, if, effectively, in the modern age, when we release films, um, they enjoy, every new movie enjoys what we would call a 90-day exclusive window of distribution in movie theaters. So every traditional movie that's made by a studio goes to your AMC, your Regal Theater, your Multiplex, and those theater owners have up to 90 days of exclusivity before that movie moves on to the next window, which would be what we would call typically home entertainment, um, or uh, not to get super nerdy, but also it's called electronic sell-through, where you would buy the film and put it in like a digital locker or buy it on DVD. I don't think they make VHS anymore. Um, but that, so, so those are traditional windows in, in the life cycle of a movie and how it gets to people around the world. Um, that's been a very contentious for years now because of the advent of streaming. People like Netflix, Amazon Prime, um, there is so much content and there's such a sophistication of technology in people's homes that the question becomes, does it behoove you to keep movies out of the hands of consumers at home for that long because you're risking losing money, you know, the, 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 the further you wait. So what Warner Brothers did, in essence, was say, for the entire 2021 film slate, which is 17 movies. They include huge franchise titles like Dune, um, the Denis Villeneuve with uh, Timothy Chalamet and Javier Bardem, the Matrix, fourth Matrix sequel, which is a massive uh, franchise from the Wachowskis and Keanu Reeves, um, all the way down to little indies and awards players like Judas and the Black Messiah. There's a new Angelina Jolie movie with uh, Taylor Sheridan that people are really excited about. All of those movies 
will now open in theaters on the same day and concurrently be available to stream for a 30-day exclusive window on HBO Max. So what you're doing is you're giving the consumer two choices. For a brand new movie, you can go to theaters or you can watch it at home on HBO Max. And obviously, one of the reasons this decision is so consequential is that we are in the middle of a global pandemic that at the moment is, I think, the worst it's been, even in the initial cycle after numbers fell over the summer and now we're back. So it suddenly doesn't become a choice. It becomes a health and safety option. So what do you think is going to be the split there between people who watch it on HBO Max and the people who go to see theaters? So I have a question. When it's on HBO Max, Mm -hmm. is there like an additional charge? Because we saw that on Disney Plus where they charged, I think it was Mulan, they charged an additional fee for. Um, Are we seeing that on HBO Max? Is that the plan for these 17 films? That is not the plan. And and that's a great point. Not only did we see an upcharge in Disney Plus for Mulan, that was a $30 premium charge on top of the $7.99 you're spending on Disney Plus per month. For HBO Max and the Warner Brothers films, all you need is your $15.99 per month HBO Max subscription, which is a steal for 17 premium studio-made films. And it really sort of gets at the heart of what many people in this industry think is that this is the decision by Warner Brothers and HBO Max's corporate owner, Warner Media, which is owned by AT&T, to boost subscribers for HBO Max. Um, They are, I think, effectively the third place streaming service, if not fourth, um, and they are dramatically behind in subscribers, um, notably behind Netflix. Netflix is around 138 million subscribers globally. HBO Max has 12.5 in the U.S. Wow. And they're only a domestic service. Um, and it's, it's, it's just a massive and very risky business decision, I think, to get those numbers up. And uh, if you'd ask why, why is that important? Um, it seems to be all that Wall Street cares about right now. Mm-hmm. Um, bolstering streaming subscribers uh, really gives Wall Street and investors confidence that the company will have revenue and financial stability and, and, and growth over the long term. Um, and, uh, uh, the decision to do this, I think, in in service of that business endeavor has really, really upset a lot of creative people in Hollywood. Oh, I'm curious, what what are the issues that this poses to the filmmaking industry? Because yeah. as just a viewer, as just a consumer, mm-hmm. somebody that just wants to see the movies, I could see a lot of people just saying like, this is awesome. Like I get these, I already have HBO Max. Now I get all these movies for basically free. I mean, other than the subscription. And this is going to be a great year. Like what do those people not know about how this could be detrimental? It's a great question. No, this is, if anybody wins in this exact moment, in in this present moment, it's consumers. It's the audience because we're stuck inside. We've watched every blessed show on netflix rewatched queen's gambit it's it's really it's exciting and also to have access um you know at such a lowered price point uh, i think is is thrilling um but there are a couple of serious ramifications and i think the first and foremost is the huge blow to movie theaters um you know they are a business that is on, uh, on the brink of bankruptcy multiple of the huge chains they're over leveraged they're drowning in debt um and they need new product. They need new films and theaters to bring people out. And um, I think we discussed this before, but, you know, the movie, selling tickets to movies uh, is a profit-sharing business for the theater owners. Um, they have a split on the dollar with the studios that release them 
to theater owners. The real gravy for them is concessions and entertainment add-ons. So it's not so much about how many tickets can I sell to Iron Man 6, it's how much popcorn can I get you to buy while you're here. Um, So disturbing that sort of ecosystem will basically be the end uh, as we know it of the modern movie theater establishment, um, which is devastating and has another big consequence because that's what filmmakers love. Um, If you were not living under a rock or even in quarantine, you would know that Christopher Nolan took every opportunity he could to completely just savage HBO Max and Warner Brothers over this decision as an insult to creatives, as devaluing the sacred experience of going to the movie theater and sitting in the dark with strangers. I don't mean to sound cynical, but this is the argument that people use every single time. Yes, movies are incredible. They're wonderful. But uh, these are the kind of things that filmmakers of his ilk, he, Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg, uh, will die defending. Um, So now you've pissed off talent in addition to uh, thrilling your subscribers and sort of reworking the model of your business, the people you rely on to create this, to sell it, to star in it, are furious. Hmm. Are you seeing a shift away from Warner Brothers to studios maybe like Sony that, at least as far as I know, haven't made these, this same sort of plan for 2021. Absolutely. It, at this present moment, I, I, you know, another interesting thing about this entire decision was that this was made entirely in the conference rooms uh, of Warner Brothers. They, they mm-hmm. talk, contacted none of their producing partners. They told no movie stars. They told no producers this was going down. Um, wow. And they were sort of accused, many would say correctly, of self-dealing. Uh, and, you know, in, in the structure of a, of a contemporary blockbuster, you know, people like Will Smith and Angelina Jolie and Tom Cruise, uh, they receive the majority of their compensation through box office participation. So they'll forego their massive salaries at the front um, of a production so movies can get made on budget and on time. And then they'll take uh, a windfall of cash on the back end from box office receipts and returns. Um, when you fundamentally change the structures of those deals and say, sorry, you're going right to HBO Max, it really changes their bottom line. And to yeah. do this definitively without talking to them, their agents, without figuring anything out, it's a huge violation of trust. So I don't think we've seen any immediate um, uh, shift from the studio, but I can guarantee you, uh, almost guarantee you, that I don't think Christopher Nolan's going to make his next movie at Warner Brothers. Um, yeah, it doesn't yeah. sound like it. He's certainly one of the most vocal. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know that no one was consulted. I mean, no. I can see that being a huge, huge problem. I mean, what? So they must. They, so Warner Brothers must be doing some damage control to their talent right now. Absolutely. I mean, what are they? What are they saying? How are they? How are they soothing those nerves? I guess. Uh, fr- from what I've reported and what I can gather, a lot of it is just cash. <laughs> They're trying to compensate people <laughs> in the back end. That believe- saves that, that. That helps everybody. Doesn't <laughs> yes, it? <laughs> it does. I believe the New York Times reported that. Um, Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot, I, I will have to check this, but I believe both received um, sort of buyouts, back-end buyouts of their participation. I think the number was $10 million they gave to Patty Jenkins, what she would have perhaps gotten if they modeled the box office correctly um, around what it would have done and compensated her that way, which isn't too uncommon of a practice. You know, Netflix has been doing this for probably three years now, running a financial model of how any given movie would have performed using that number and then paying their talent up front to come and do a movie that goes straight to streaming. So it's not unheard of. It's just the, you know, incredible mafia style that this deal was done, or I, I, I shouldn't even say deal because deal implies two parties, that this decision yeah. was reached and sort of just announced in, in just a matter of days. Contractually, they must have the ability to make these decisions like without, I mean, they must, uh, but maybe not. I don't Warners, know. I mean, it seems like it. Warner Brothers? 
Oh, I don't think yeah. they do. I don't think they do. You I, don't. I, no, I, I think if anything, this was again a huge dice roll. Um, and currently, uh, there's we have no update yet. But Legendary, which is a production company, uh, which I believe is partially Chinese owned, um, is a producer of two of the films coming out this year from Warner Brothers: Dune um, and Godzilla versus Kong. They're exploring litigation. If they can't really? reach favorable terms, they will sue them. Yes, because there's no la- there was no language in any of these deals that said there's a possibility you'll end up on HBO Max concurrently the same day you're in theaters. Wow. See, that's how stupid I am. No, I figured, well, no, how could they please. how could they do this? There must be some way there. Yeah. I don't know. Part of it as a stunt is let's do this in broad daylight. And uh, you know, I part of me ha- really does think that Warner's expected to be widely praised for this, or, or at least expected a groundswell from fans and support of, uh, you know, some people saying like, oh, this is a pandemic, it's a horrible situation, look at this workaround, but it, it went the entire opposite direction. It fully went sideways on them. Do you think that this is something where the content creators may be out of touch with what fans really want? Do fans really even need big giant screens mm-hmm. and amazing surround sound, or do they just want the story? It's hard to tell. I mean, yeah. I'm certainly not of an, I, I, I'm not a young man. So it's like, I, I'm sort of hearkening back to the days of going to the theater and the romanticism of it and loving yeah. that experience. Mm-hmm. But I'm not the same demo that's going to be, you know, clamoring for, uh, to, to see, you know, Wonder Woman on day one. You know right. what I mean? Like, exactly. I, 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 it's just not the same type of audience. So it's hard for me to tell. Sure. When you say content makers, if I would say the creatives, I don't, I don't think so. I think that, you know, some people are really good at what they do in terms of where they model it for. You know, if you look at the success of Marvel, those movies have no problem getting young people out of the house, although it is a younger male demographic and it is superheroes. That's kind of a no brainer. Um, But when it comes to, if you're talking content makers in terms of the people who are writing the checks, um, perhaps, and I think that we're going to see a reckoning of sort of that on paper and in their content pipeline, not just this year, but in the next three years. You know, if they if if HBO Max does not amass a metric ton of subscribers by the end of this year, this experiment and this sort of like, uh, you know, very backdoor under I don't want to say underhanded because I don't want to get sued, but you know what I mean. Done in the shadows deal will have been a risk that will have absolutely not paid off and will lead to a lot of damage, I think, long-term for them. So you're thinking that the that the idea of being out of touch is that they are assuming that everybody wants to consume the, their media just at their home, and they're missing the fact that there's a real interest in theaters? I just want to make sure yeah, I'm no, clear. No, 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 of course. No, I, I think well, uh, more to the point, I, I think that some movies like Dune and The Matrix um, and Godzilla versus Kong are really huge format big splashy IMAX yeah. theatrical things and 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 sadly they're the kind of movies that studios are really only making now so the idea that you would say like uh, give the consumer the choice of watching that in one place or the other uh, i i think it's sort of disingenuous to say that they want to try that I, if this was a, if there was no pandemic this would absolutely have never happened this is yeah. a way to try to boost subscribers in the middle of a pandemic where they can't open theatrically and 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 raise their stock price. That's kind of it. I don't think there, there's no artistic endeavor at the heart of this. Um, but but you know I, I don't know if you look at something like um, the Old Guard on Netflix, the Charlize Theron action film. You know I yeah. I enjoyed that a great deal. I don't think it was so spectacular that I had to see it on a big screen. But I don't know that um, 
you know, I don't know that I would watch, uh, you know, so just to, to pull something out of the air, um, you know, 1917, which was that last year, maybe two years ago. I think, um, I think it was last year. Mendes, what is time anymore? I know, exactly. <laughs> but the Sam Mendes, you know, we weren't in a pandemic yet, but I remember specifically getting multiple links to watch that. And I waited because everyone said that, you know, it's a single tracking shot and the sound, da da da, da. You know, so I think it's all about how you really market the film. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's anything really artistic and, and anything forward thinking um, about Warner's trying to say, like, let's see what happens if we do this. It's entirely driven by subscriber growth and the pandemic. That's a really interesting take on it mm-hmm. uh, because I, I was thinking about it in terms of just accessibility mm-hmm. and clean and clearing the slate, quite honestly. Like, yeah. what are we going to do? Do we hold off a year? You, you hear a lot of people making the comparison between how the music industry was affected with Napster and yeah. the rise of MP3 mm-hmm. and what's happening here. Um, I challenge that only because the music industry, like people certainly made albums, on, uh, made money on album sales, but the money has kind of always been in touring and in merch. Right. And that didn't change when MP3s became popular. Right. The money here is, it's different. Like there's no performance part. Like you're not taking your movie and, and bringing it out on the road and doing and getting performance royalties in the same way. It, it, it's a different income stream. And essentially doing something that brings theater goers or brings theaters to a halt, I feel like has a more substantial impact than simply MP3s becoming the norm. I don't know. No, Do you I have th- thoughts on that? No, I think that that's an absolute, yeah, I think they're apples and oranges. And I think that, you know, the, the, the ideal that people seem to be building towards is something that, that, I mean, we'll have to see how it goes this year, but then the Disney seems to have sort of really set up for tremendous success, which is if you look at what their Marvel slate is for Disney plus, um, every single show, every single spinoff they've done, um, from the films will feed into the larger sequential narrative of the Marvel cinematic universe. They basically, it's what people in my business call bridge content. So if I've seen, um, forgive me, I don't know what the last Marvel movie that came out was. I think it was, let's just say if I've seen Endgame. And all these characters are, are, are now um, fractured. And we've got to see what's, where they're going next. In the next two months, we'll have WandaVision um, and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which we'll see all these characters in, in a forward-moving timeline, correct? Um, and the consequences on them in that narrative will then set up the next film. So what you're doing is you're basically keeping intellectual property alive 365 days a year. And when there's not TV shows to watch, there's probably an animated show to watch. There's probably toys to buy that will feed into that larger narrative, all leading up to the next film. It's like this incredibly beautiful, synergistic, largely capitalist, but but exciting way to make money. That, to me, is, is the tours, merch, streaming money, and physical album sales of the movie business. Mm. I want to transition to the latest COVID lockdowns sure. and shutdown in Hollywood. Um, and there's a lot to talk about there. But before we get there, I just want to mention our sponsor, MZ Education for Creatives. On MZ, you have hundreds of hours of high-quality video-based filmmaking education covering all sorts of topics that we all need to know. Directing, cinematography, post-production, visual storytelling, and more. And of course, the education's only as valuable as its teacher, right? If you don't have good educators, then you don't really get to learn the same way. But that's not the case at MZ because they have high-quality educators. I'm talking about Vincent LaFerre, Shane Hurlbert, Philip Bloom. Uh, They have Tom Cross. He's the editor of La La Land and Whiplash. 
doing a whole course on the art and technique of film editing. So they've got really high-profile people that are doing just fantastic, amazing work. And it doesn't end there. There are hundreds of hours of content there on MZ. And if you become an MZ Pro member, you get access to everything, everything on the site. And yes, you can buy individual courses, but that MZ Pro membership is exactly what we here at Go Creative Show really need. And I've got good news for you. You get 20% off your purchase by using GCS20 at checkout, GCS20 for 20% off. So check it out for yourself, gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ, M-Z-E-D. I want to talk about the most recent shutdowns in Hollywood. Over the last week, we've, we've, we heard news that this was kind of coming. We sort of had an idea mm. that it would, and now it actually is. And can you give us the details of this shutdown? Sure. Um, I mean, it basically boils down to the fact that, you know, poor California wants a sort of model about quarantining and containing the the, the coronavirus has spiraled out of control with infections and deaths. Um, uh, you know, I'm remiss to give exact numbers, but I, I think the last one I saw was 39,000 cases in a day, um, which is just unprecedented numbers from the last spike we saw almost a year ago or much earlier this year. And it's just become untenable. Uh, I, I think I saw another number that said one in five people in Cal in Los Angeles County have contracted COVID. Um, wow. So it, it's just, it, it's plain not safe. And it, it's a shame because the industry spent you know, an agonizing amount of time and resources figuring out protocols. Um, but for now, uh, in accordance, sorry, but for now, in cooperation with local health officials, uh, it's just not safe. So uh, production has been suspended for two weeks again. A lot of shows that went dark for the holidays um, before the New Year's haven't come back. And that's everything from, you know, the Ellen DeGeneres show um, to your favorite cop procedural. Uh, it's mostly television. Um, it's uh, a lot of key films that were shot in California wrapped earlier this year. Segments of Jurassic World, um, you know, the new Paul Thomas Anderson film uh, wrapped in late October. Uh, so a lot of that stuff has been done because film production is a different beast, but TV has gone dark. Um, and it's basically just to try to shelter in place and see if we can get these numbers down and not for the health of production, but because uh, ICU capacity is 0% in California. It's, it's really devastating. Are these lockdowns because the protocols weren't working? Like, did we see a spike in production, infections in production? Or is it just a as a, you know, response to your hospitalizations going up? Like, sure what, what is it? Yeah. Um, we, I, I have no evidence to say that production is anywhere near involved in the spike in California. I think a lot of it is, um, is sort of neglect. I think it's human neglect. A lot of people, uh, you know, gathered in small groups, five to 10 over both holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, you know, there's a lot of chatter about people who went away for New Year's Eve. I think a state that had been very vigilant got very lax and transmission has just gone completely out of control. Um, there have been productions that have been shut down. Um, Olivia Wilde's Don't Worry Darling comes to mind. That's a period piece with Harry Styles and Florence Pugh. Um, so yeah, the, the, there there are people who have, who have been not been immune to COVID transmission on set, but I think it's largely um, due to the fact that California is the most populous state in the union. Um, we're a little bit more free-spirited there than other people, and this has just gotten completely out of control. And right now, what are they saying? When when are they expecting to come back? Uh, we are back in the holding patterns of two weeks and, and see what happens. Um, I, I have a feeling that uh, now that we're in uh, a couple of days past the new year, that the numbers will continue to increase. Um, but also, I, I do 
uh, with whatever the progress of the vaccination is, it, you know, mathematically, there are more vaccines rolling out. So hopefully that will do something to combat it. And uh, hopefully just the just the dire situations in our hospitals will keep people people in the house and, and hopefully it'll go down. But as of now, there's only a two week pause and that might lead to, to greater ramifications down the line, not just for production coming back. But don't forget, whenever you stop a production, you've usually got a star or two that has a schedule. Um, yeah. They're about to go do something else. So this is when we see what we saw last year, which is a lot of people shuffling roles because you got to finish this because you have a contract. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's a little bit prohibitive and it could get a lot worse. I think the expectation at the beginning of this was that there was going to be a major shutdown mm-hmm. and then slow increments of getting back, eventually getting back like that. It seemed like that was what it was. It was going to be, let's, we're going to delay it a month. We'll try it this way. Smaller crews we will change our rules. We'll get to this point where eventually we can be back to normal. And it was this linear path. Yeah. Now I think we're seeing that the idea of a linear path is just not possible. It, right. it hasn't been like that. So how does this affect Hollywood overall, knowing that it's going to kind of be this push and pull. You might sneak in a couple weeks and then you might have to pull back a couple weeks, pull back. I mean, that's a major blow to just producers must be losing their minds. Absolutely. I mean, I- <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I, I would say, and that, that's such a great question because I say what this comes down to is just a question of money. If you've got the resources and the time to be patient, to, to up your testing to two or three times a day to, um, you know, basically, uh, when they, when they shot Jurassic world, they basically, uh, in the UK, the Universal Pictures had to basically build a city. You know what I mean? I, it was described to me as like an airport. There were three lines who came in every single day. They filtered out people as much as they could into being different buckets. And everyone went back and lived in the same hotel. Uh, everyone who serviced that hotel lived on site as well. And they have the money to do that. You know, if yeah. you're a Christine Vachon movie and you're counting on a tax rebate and $300,000 from a mysterious oligarch, um, and your production gets shut down, I don't know that it's going to be good news for you. So I think it, it's it's a it's a great test. Um, and I think it's sadly a difference right now between the haves and the have-nots. Yeah, and we're seeing that across everything. You know, yeah. big businesses <laughs> yes. are able to stay alive and small are not. Like, this yeah. is just kind of what we've been seeing. It's interesting to see that Hollywood's been affected in the same way. Yeah. Because um, it just seems like, I mean, people watching this show knows that there's a lot of movies being made at extremely small budgets. But yeah. I think you know, people see a film on their TV and they just think there's tons of money behind it, regardless. Not necessarily. You know, what's interesting is that um, it seems to be at two ends of the spectrum, even for A-listers and and, and for mainstream producers. You know, I did a story a couple weeks ago, um, you know, CAA, which is a huge, powerful agency, has a media finance group that usually brokers financing and puts together indies for their clients, then takes them and sells them to big distributors. And they've done... You know, um, oh, God, forgive me. Roland Emmerich has a new movie called Moonfall with Halle Berry and Stanley Tucci and a million people, as he usually does. He went out there and raised $150 million independently um, through individual, I know, through individual investors. But they had to insure everybody because it's a massive production. And 20% of that budget is all COVID safety. So that's Mm -hmm. a huge strain on their resources. But then you've got movies like, um, there's a, a... really buzzy one coming out that people are talking about called Malcolm and Marie with John David Washington and Zendaya. That was a $5 million budget. It was shot on one location with 14 people. They lived in the house they shot in and they for they decided to forego COVID insurance and they lived together basically for six weeks mm. and, and rolled the dice. Same thing with Doug Lyman's movie Lockdown with Anne Hathaway, Julia Telegia for they were living in an apartment together in London 18 days and wow. they took all the risk on themselves. So even... 
even the haves, not the have-nots, are sort of rolling the dice where it's appropriate. Um, um, to say it's a struggle for everyone right now is, is very accurate. How do these lockdowns and the kind of change in Hollywood affect the awards? And, and how, you know, how are we treating the Grammys? How are we treating the Oscars? What Sundance? Like, what yeah. are the changes that we're seeing? That's a great question. Um, well, first and foremost, last year, the decision was made to sort of shift the award season almost two months ahead um, as a one-time sort of, uh, uh, what is it called? Act of God <laughs> policy, um, where we moved the Oscars to April 25th. So subsequently, the shows pushed back behind it um, in appropriate order. The Golden Globes, are, I believe, were in March. Um, the Grammys were supposed to be scheduled for this month in January. Um, Sundance made the decision to basically come down from the mountain and do a digital uh, nationwide festival with uh, in-person screenings, whether that's going to the theater or the drive-in across the country to markets that were safe and open. Um, but now that's been challenged. You know, uh, In Southern California, because of how bad the numbers are, Sundance has canceled its planned screenings at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena um, and, and other locations. Uh, and the Grammys were moved to March. Um, coincidentally, the Grammys did something really shady and took the date that was occupied by the Screen Actors Guild Awards so now the, the SCAG Awards will definitely blink and move because who wants to go up against the Grammys when you're a small yeah, guild show? So, so it's causing a lot of chaos in the schedule. I mean, my, my feeling is that they can't move the Oscars again unless they cancel the ceremony altogether um, because we can't shift the awards calendar ahead anymore. Um, and frankly, uh, I can is scheduled for May. And I think that the organizers are seriously thinking about pushing it to midsummer in hopes that we might be more widely vaccinated. So it, it's uh, sadly, we're here again a year later and not much has changed. If anything, the numbers are a bit worse. The criteria for being eligible for a lot of these awards must have changed. Yes. Seeing as you can't have theatrical releases, at Absolutely. least the way that they used to be. Absolutely. There were, there were special dispensations. I believe you can have a streaming debut um, if, if no other, if key markets in New York and Los Angeles are not open, which they are not. So that's changed. But also what, what you're going to see, which will be a, cause a lot of mass confusion, is, is that, you know, in a normal year, um, some films would start campaigning for Oscar around September when Toronto comes out. Some films campaign beginning in January when they get bought and seen at Sundance and carry all the way through the next year. But now you're going to see a lot of sudden death contenders that are just going to pop up out of nowhere. Netflix has quite a few of them. Let's talk about something positive okay. and exciting <laughs> as we as we wrap this up with so much crazy news going on and so much affecting, you know, our industry. I want to hear from you. What are you what are you most excited about in Hollywood for 2021? A movie, a mm -hmm. change in the industry. It could be anything. But what are you what are you looking forward to in 2021? That's a great question. Um Man, it, it's it's hard to be excited about a lot um, because you know not just with this economic devastation, you know people are losing jobs and and a lot of our but but as you said, positively. I mean, I, I'll I'll tell you one thing that I'm I'm deeply passionate about. I did a cover on it a couple weeks ago. Um, Emerald Fennell's Promising Young Woman with Carrie Mulligan is one of the best films I've seen in a very long time. I'm really hoping that that goes the distance at the Oscars. I think right now she's very presumptive favorite to get best original screenplay and carries definitely in the conversation. I think it's a, it's a movie about rape culture that everyone needs to see, but somehow inexplicably it's incredibly fun and well done. Um, so trust me there. Uh, and it's made by women and, 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 and led by women. So that, that's wonderful. And I guess I'm excited for, 
Um, the idea that hopefully by fall, you know, as as much um, crap as I gave Chris Nolan, I do want to go back to the movies. Um, yeah. Especially like you know, it's I don't know about anybody else, but my one of my favorite things to do is see a movie alone. I don't have to do anything. I don't talk to anybody. I just sit there and watch the Sunday afternoon ritual. Um, and then uh, you know, I, I guess I'm also really excited about. Um, the amount of diversity and inclusion that will come this year, you know, hopefully if the release calendar doesn't get messed up again, you know, um, half of the blockbusters coming out will be directed by women. Um, you know, there's been some incredible, uh, strides with, with female and people of color producers, LGBTQ people. Uh, I think that there's a lot of really, really good strident, um, and, and compelling content coming from some, uh, places you normally don't see them from. So I really hope people get to see that too. I love that. And I'm with you. I like seeing movies alone. It's like, I, yeah. I just so prefer going by myself. Exactly. I really like it. And you don't have to feel guilty do, about eating you whatever you want in the dark. <laughs> exactly. You can eat like a pig. Nobody totally. cares. And if you go during the, if you're luckily enough to have a somewhat flexible schedule and you can go like in the middle of the day during a weekday, yes. oh, oh, it's the, the best. best experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt Donnelly, we can find you on Twitter at Matt Donnelly, D-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y. You're the senior film editor for Variety and doing just such incredible work despite all of this craziness. We love having you out there and keeping all of us kind of informed and feeling like we're still connected to the industry, even though a lot of us aren't able to really leave and be as active as we want to be. But thank you so much for doing what you do and for coming on the Go Creative Show. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you so much for having me. All right. I want to thank Matt Donnelly for coming back on the Go Creative Show and talking to us about the work he's been doing out there in Hollywood. He's out there on the beat. He knows all the things going on in our industry, and we really appreciate that he's out there and bringing that information to us. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter, at Matt Donnelly. And while you're on Twitter, you can follow us as well. In fact, you can follow us everywhere, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And I strongly suggest the YouTube channel for sure because we're gonna be putting some exclusive content on there just for our YouTube subscribers. So please do check us out there. And of course, subscribe on your favorite podcast app as well so you never miss an episode. I want to thank our producer, Connor Crosby, for putting this whole show together behind the scenes. You can find him at ignitionvisuals.com. And I want to thank Dave Siegel for mixing and mastering and making the show sound so good. You can find him at siegelsound.com and on Instagram, siegelsound. Check him out there. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. In fact, we're going to put a link to a bunch of stuff in the show notes. So don't forget to head over to gocreativeshow.com. Check it out. Join the conversation. Let us know what you think of this episode and if you have any questions for Matt or for me. And uh, we just love hearing from our Go Creative Show family. So thank you guys for supporting us. And we'll see you next week on another episode of Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers 